Yena Dar is an outcast from the barbarian north, but when her mother dies under mysterious circumstances, she is summoned to the majestic city of Skye. There, to her shock, Yena is named an heiress to the king. But the throne of the Hundred Thousand Kingdoms is not easily won, and Yena is thrust into a vicious power struggle with cousins she never knew she had. As she fights for her life, she draws ever closer to the secrets of her mother's death and her family's bloody history. With the fate of the world hanging in the balance, Yena will learn how perilous it can be when love and hate and gods and mortals are bound inseparably together. Hello, everybody. This is The Bookend, and welcome to Bookish Adventures. All right, so 100,000 Kingdoms by N.K. Jameson. By N.K. Jameson. Um, wow, okay. <laughs> this... It took me a while to get into this book. Like, mm, like in a very superficial conceptual way, it's really cool. But the narrative in it is just really difficult. And I listened to this on Audible, so I don't know if it was, um, or excuse me, on Audible. So I don't know if it was because of the narrator or if it was specific to the written narration by Jameson. Uh, oh boy. So to, you kind of got the excerpt. I'm going to give a very crude rundown. Girl is raised by air quote, barbarian village. Um, She's raised with very strict, harsh rules and expectations to be the ruler of the next, or to pretty much be the next, like, leader of the tribe. Um, lo and behold, uh, she's the granddaughter of the ruler in a very large city called Sky. Um, mother dies. Father was, has been dead for a while. Um, so she's been summoned to the capital, Sky, to meet with Dakarta, who's the leader, and essentially finds out that she's been nominated as heir. Now, the cool-ish thing, the cool thing, say it's a cool thing, I think it's cool. The cool thing is, is that the gods have been captured to be forced into experiencing human existence. Um, because there's a lot of background on the gods. And this is where I would say that the world building is kind of wishy-washy. Not in the ab not in the aspect of the concepts and context that is being presented, but ultimately how, you know, back to the narration aspect, how it's being presented, when it's being presented, that kind of thing. It almost seems choppy and out of order at times, like if you write something and suddenly like, oh yeah, I want to mention this, and you just throw it in somewhere, it, it kind of almost has that essence to it. And I found that the development of the characters 
was interesting. Um, and you'll see that in some of the reviews that I selected to go over. Um, <laughs> uh, so essentially she gets there the gods there were three gods who kind of created the maelstrom which is like the world the galaxy all of existence in essence and you have nahado the night lord and he was the very first because you know light brings darkness without darkness you know without light there's darkness without darkness there's light so you know, you need one, you know, two sides of a coin. You need one for the other. So anyways, Nahadoth is the first god in existence. And then there is... Oh, gosh. Tempest, the god of law, order, and light. And considered the sky father in the land of sky. And so he's kind of like Nahadoth's other half. So there's a night lord and the sky father. Then, um, Enifa is created, and she is the goddess of twilight, dawn, balance, life, and death. And she, there was a god's war where a tempest, being law and order, does not like change. But not in Nahadoth, many things change in the dark. Darkness can be kind of a symbol for change, like the dawn of a new day. You have to go through the darkness to reach the light. All those kind of corny things to say. Um, but that are utilized as kind of mantras to help with people in, in like the journey for positive mental health. Um, and so NFI created humans and a Tempest did not like that. So there was a God's War and a Tempest ended up killing Enifa and imprisoning Nahadoth in as like you know a creature and they call him Naha for short when he's in his human form and once you know the it was essentially a punishment for anybody who rose up against a tempest to experience human existence in the aspect that they were they would soon hate and despise humans which it, it worked for a couple of them um uh, I think it was Kure was the one who ended up hating all humans because um, it's like a sense of justice. Kure is, the, is a godling birthed from Enifa and Nahadoth, I guess, maybe, something like that. The birthing thing, real, the godling birthing thing really didn't make a lot of sense. But everyone calls Enifa their mom. And Nahadoth, their father. So, you know, whatever. However that is um, construed and completed. Yeah, to me, I, uh, what I, from what I remember, it's not very clear. And so anyways, Enifa dies. There's a few godlings in Nahadoth that's highlighted in this book. Um, Yena comes to Sky and, um, meets Travil, Tavril, who is a half-blood and is cousin to Yena. And one thing, this is, like, really creepy, I think, but it, you know, cultural thing. Um, in the land of Sky, 
Descartes and whatever, whoever began this rule a thousand years ago, they, within the royalty of the palace, only those of royal blood could be on the premises, essentially. So, even the servants were related by blood to the emperor. Even, you know, the... It was crazy. The servants, the... um Everybody in the palace, everybody in the palace except for the gods that have are captured are related to each other. And so there's that one point where Yena seeks physical comfort from Treville and there's this, you know, internal monologue of like, if I, you know, I can't think too hard that he's my cousin because everybody here is related to me somehow and she literally has to block that information out of her head because her yearning for physical comfort was more of a priority than any type of personal value of blood connection, if that makes sense. So, anyways, again, that's a cultural thing. In certain cultures, it's accepted to marry your cousin and that kind of stuff. So, you know, I'm going to kind of put my hands up about it. I personally, because of my culture and the society that I grew up in, that's not really accepted. So it gives me a bit of the chills. But for those, you know, who are reading this, who are in a culture where it's accepted, then, you know, this probably wouldn't be as big of a point um, of interest or contention. Um... So, she's there, she meets the gods, she finds out that the gods have had a plan, and that she's not just the only soul, she has another soul in her, which is Enifa's soul. She actually has Enifa's soul, like, in her, and it was put in her when she was in the womb. And so she has grown up, you know, with Enifa's soul, she never realized that, but being exposed to Enifa's soul since, you know, in the womb... Apparently, it's made her a god. Like, I don't know. It that really wasn't clear either. Like, in another book that I'm reading that I can't wait to, like, review for you guys, it talks about in time travel um, fantasy where at some point, the creator can no longer explain the phenomena of time travel and there's some, you know, implicit, explicit, you know, explanation of it just works. You know, it just does it. Like, quit questioning the semantics of this happenstance or this phenomenon and kind of shoves it away. <laughs> um, and so in this case, that's kind of, it's kind of along that line. Like, I even, like, went back just to, like, re-listen and be like, yeah, there's no explanation exactly. Just my only implicit inference would be that because Yena had Enifa's soul in her since she was a baby, then that is the reason that she's essentially a god. If any of you who are listening have read this book and are like, 
uh, yeah, it's very explicitly explained how she became a goddess, then please comment and let me know because I must have missed it if it's there. If not, then you know what? It just works. <laughs> so, um, I don't want to spoil the end of the book to you. I already kind of dropped a big piece that with the end of a soul thing and that she becomes a goddess. Um, part of the trial, it says that she has to contend with her cousins to like the rule sky. Yeah, that's a whole ordeal. Apparently to the sky, the sky father is a sick, sick, mentally sick being. He is the god of law and order and light, but there's nothing light about him. And he has a very skewed perception of law and order. And I think this is, some people say that they don't like political undertones in novels, especially like fiction novels. I hear that a lot, especially about Kevin Hearn's writing, which I'm going to get into Kevin Hearn's books and reviewing those soon too. Um, but I don't think it is possible to completely eradicate political bias as well as when developing a character including depending on the world right that they are being placed in whether it's some form of earth some form of the united states or you know creating some type of justice system in society in a fantasy realm there is always going to potentially be political issues of some kind whether it's racism expressed between two alien races from a different planet, but because one has tentacles on their face versus another, they're being judged for that. That is political undertones, right? So in this case, there's some some sexism, but not a lot. Um, and then um, there's political undertones with a Tempest being the god of law and order, but having such a skewed sense of this law and order, but he is he is the god, so he is all-encompassing, and so by authority that they the humans will follow him. Um, they're just happy that he gives them light. And a Tempest has required that to take over the position of ruler, the person has to kill one of their most beloved people, but that's because a Tempest hates humans. That's the reason a Tempest killed Enifa. So anyways, this whole sickening thing. So Yaina found out that um, her mom left Sky because originally her mom, Kenneth, was supposed to be the next ruler in line. Um, the next heir. But she, like, redacted her position. Was pretty much like, I... I don't want to be a part of this because she had found out that her father, Descarta, who is the current ruler in the present time of this book, had killed her mother. And so because of that, Kenneth, Yana's mom, left, married her dad, um, who was not of royalty, was not within the confines of the palace. Bada bing, bada boom, they moved north to the barbarian lands and grew a family. Well, um, now Yena being in the capital learned all of that history and then some. And 
knew that she figured out essentially in the air ritual to pass on the title of ruler from Dakarta to the next person, she's essentially going to have to be sacrificed to the Sky Father. And, like, sacrifices everywhere. Like, this servant dies just so they can have a fancy ball. And this servant dies just so a stone throne, throne, like, to sit on, a stone throne can be moved from one part of the palace to the other. I'm like, so they're killing their own family for their own convenience and pleasantries. And it's, it's ridiculous. Again, maybe it's a culture thing. But... I don't understand it. It's weird. Um, yeah, that's pretty much, I think I kind of covered the majority of the book. There's a lot more, the way that it's written in some parts, the narration is Yena is talking to herself. So it's like the end of the book, but she's talking to herself at the beginning of the book of like, I can't really remember what's, like this or that and so then there's like another an internal conversation is happening in this narration we're like where am i oh i'm here okay wait a minute i'm trying to remember right now and then like they go into the story recounting from the beginning and so there's those little snippets in between where like wait a minute why am i still alive and da 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 and then Apparently, the second voice is supposed to be Kneth. I thought it was Enifa at times, the, you know, the goddess soul that's inside Yena. But apparently, it's her mom, Kneth. I was like, I'm so confused now. So, anyways. Um, yeah. So, like I said, the narration is choppy. Um, and next, we're going to go into trigger warnings. And then I want to read a couple reviews. Alright, so let's talk about some trigger warnings. Um, in this, I would say there is some sexual content. There's at least one major sex scene. Possibly two if you count the one between Tavril Tavril, and Yena. There's also another... Point in the book where Yena sleeps with Nahadoth the Night Lord. And that one's more graphic, closer to the end of the book. Besides that, I think a lot of political undertones. There's nothing really else that I found potentially triggering. I would definitely say that there. It's mostly heteronormative themes in this book. There really isn't anything in this book that's like LGBTQ that's discussed openly. Um, some implicit inferences for like polyamory, I guess. Um, there's a point where Rolad, one of her cousins, has like two servants who are completely nude with him like an area of the garden and he, like he's totally he's intoxicated and um as Yena walks away he asks them to service him sexually and so 
you know, that could be a potential trigger. There's times where Naha, Nahados human form, is chained in um, Samina, is the other cousin, Samina's bedchambers or in her, like, apartment. And so it's it's very, you know, it's explicitly stated that he, the Night Lord, is being used as, like, a power symbol. And he's, you know, there's sex happening between Samina and Naha. And it's pretty much a power play. So she's trying to show to other people that she can tame the Night Lord and whatnot, which is not true. So, um, which is actually kind of funny because at the end it reverses um, Yena requests for Samina's death. And Nahadoth is like, nope, she's mine. And like chains her to him. And I don't think this is, like, sexual because throughout the book, the romance that really takes place is Yena and Nahadoth. So I think he just plans to be cruel to Samina as payback for her being cruel to him. So anyways, um, that could be potentially triggering. I can't really think of anything else. Um... Again, if you've read the book and are like, it's glaringly obvious that there are certain things that I should mention here, go ahead and comment or email me my email information and other places for my podcast are in the description of this episode. So please reach out to me. I'd love to hear your opinion. And so now... I was trying to find reviews that were kind of in the middle. I wasn't trying to find reviewers that were, you know, slamming the book, how much they hate it, that kind of stuff. I really was trying to find different perspectives um, that were genuine and actually had, like, good information in it. And reasoning. I just like I didn't like it, just couldn't get into it, and then started like complaining about the book. So the first review is from Vinaya on Goodreads, and it's a three-star review. And the first response is I think I may have read too much fantasy. I'm always apprehensive when I read a book everyone loved and can't get worked up about it. I was expecting this book to be radical and innovative. And unusual. It wasn't. You've read this before. You're too harsh. This writing style. Dot dot dot. Makes no narrative sense. Seriously what is this book. Seriously what is it about this book I'm missing. What makes it worth. What makes it worthy of being a Hugo. And Nebula nominee. The chopping writing style. Felt weird to me. Not because I didn't understand the transitions in time, but because there was no need for it. It felt more gimmicky than real. The plot line was standard, standard, standard. Orphaned warrior girl is thrust into the midst of a political war and named heir to her grandfather's kingdom, whereupon she falls in love with a god and finds out deep, dark secrets about herself. You want to know who wrote this plot line before? 
Trudy Canavan. That's who. Her Priestess of the White and the following books in the Age of the Five trilogy are teeming with gods and goddesses and deceit and political intrigue and romance and war and betrayal and life. The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms is a pale approximation of Canavan's vivid world building. Seriously, Australian authors kick ass every time. The world building in this book was lackluster. So many things were never explained. Yes, that is very true. I'm interjecting. That was very, that's very true. Like I was kind of explaining in my review of it. It's like you just have to Im- implicitly infer why something is happening. Back to the review. So many rules were pointless and unworkable. I never felt a strong connection to Yena. So much of her time was spent wandering around aimlessly and hoping to bump into someone who would drop the information onto her lap. All the things we were told in the beginning, that she was a warrior, that she was the competent ruler of an entire nation, that she was trained by her mother in Amun ways. That's a race, by the way, Amun. None of these things are actually reflected in her actions. And I want to give snaps to that because that is absolutely true. I'm realizing that, that I didn't include that in my explanation. Um, and that I'm realizing now more so reading this is that they say she's a warrior, but there was, she did not fight at all. They say that she was a ruler of a nation, and if anything, she more so whined about the condition of her nation without actually taking action. And my other big pet peeve was with the whole sex scene. Seriously, all I got were weird illusions that weren't remotely moving or sexy. Mostly, I was going WTF. If sex with Nahadoth hadn't been built up to be such a big deal... I could have dealt with the way it was handled. As things stand, though, the description of the scene was florid and overblown and unconvincing. I can see that. Don't get me wrong, I didn't hate the book. It was interesting enough to have me reading till the end, but I know what good fantasy reads like. And to me, this book comes a poor second to the vibrant writing of authors like Trudy Canavan and Jennifer Fallon and even Melinda Marchetta. Hmm, they're all Australian too. So, yeah, I paused in a, a couple times there in the review, and I totally agree. Um, the world building is lackluster, mostly again back to like things aren't explained. Um, Vinaya mentions that the rules were pointless and unworkable. Yeah, there's like weird things. Again, like, you know, besides implied that. The light god, the Sky Father, requests that people kill their loved ones to become ruler. Like there, I don't know. There, there's no real connection. Nothing blends together very well. It's all choppy. So go and go to the second reviewer, which is a two-star review um, by Rachel. And this one's a little bit shorter. So here we go. This was a commendable first effort, but I cannot bring myself to rate it any higher. In view of all the possible reviews it has been receiving, I just expected more from this story, but no, it fell completely short of expectations. The writing itself is certainly readable, but when it comes to portraying emotional turmoils, the author opts for tell, don't show, too often. So some scenes are filled with rather cringe-worthy descriptions of how a character feels, air quote, they're quoting, there's quotation marks, feels. The author might 
have been going for sensual, but because the writing lacks natural lyricism, it ends up it ends up seem forced. Ends up seem forced than anything else. The world building begins somewhat promisingly, but the exploration of that world ends up being more cursory than in depth. The palace intrigues also begin with a promise of complex conflicts, but end up quite shallow. And a lot of the said conflicts are resolved via dosex machina, literally, then through the strength of the 13-year-old protagonist. Now, all of these issues are serious flaws, and I suppose things like world-building might occur in later volumes of this trilogy, so I might have enjoyed the story for what it is had the characters been more fully realized. The protagonist, Dina, does start off with lots of potential. She comes across as endearing and has strength of conviction and other right elements to become an interesting heroine. But in the end, she comes off as a Mary Sue in all the wrong ways. I want to get snaps to that. Especially when it comes to her romantic entanglements. The secondary characters are also imbued with attention-grabbing and flashy personalities, but none of them came across as truly genuine. I am sure I've read mangas with better character developments. Actually, what with the detailed description of characters' physical attributes, I did feel like I was reading manga in parts. So kind of like 2D superficial. It's possible I would have enjoyed the story better without the high expectation, but now that I have finished reading it, I simply cannot agree with all the glowing reviews. For years, I've been reading as much as I could in this genre, so I know exactly what I want from a fantasy novel, and this, unfortunately, isn't it? Your mileage may vary, of course. So, I like a lot of these... um, I like a lot of these points that Rachel mentioned. So, like, the tell-don't-show, absolutely true. Um, there's a lot of internal dialogue at points where, like, Yena's just overanalyzing her feelings about stuff. And it can get, it can just get boring. Like, there's times where I even, like, spaced out while reading that I'm just like, I don't even, I don't, what? And then I'd have to go back and re-listen. And I'm like, oh, she's still complaining about this. Okay. Where she's still so confused about everything. And I'm like, to me, a warrior isn't someone who's confused all the time. To me, a warrior is someone who makes decisions. Like, they have to have, like, a warrior and a leader of a tribe should have the initiative to make decisions and follow through and deal with ramifications, be able to adapt to these situations. And in some cases, Yena did adapt, but it took long periods of time. And she's almost, like, disassociated at times, where she's just kind of like, I can't believe that I've already been here for a week. You know, like, anyways, it's it's rough, as you can tell from my review and these two reviews. So we have one more. It's also a two-star review. Again, kind of like what Rachel pointed out, there's a lot of glowing reviews. On average, this book has a 3.88 rating on Goodreads. And I, like, I skimmed through a lot of five-star reviews that were really long, and they boasted about what they liked about it, but they were, you know, it was all superficial information. And now, if that's something that you like in your books, then, yeah, go ahead and read this book. Like, I'm not saying I like how Vinaya says I didn't hate this book. I didn't hate this book either, right? There's just, there's just some complications with the writing and the portrayal of the characters, et cetera, et cetera. So, 
keep that in mind if you choose to pick up this book. That maybe everything won't be well-rounded. If you just want to read a story to read a story with a heroine in it who ends up making love to a, a night god, then there you go. You got it. So our last review comes from Jessica. It's two stars, also from Goodreads. And let's get through it. This was Jameson's debut. And it's wonderfully ambitious, full of big ideas about mortality, morality, divinity, humanity, politics, and magic. I keep imagining her editor dressed like Cecil B. DeMille, reading it and then saying around their cigar, kid, you got stuff. I had been looking for something of hers to read since I haven't read anything and saw that this was the first in a series. I kind of wish I had read one of her later books instead though, because I didn't really fall in love with this one the way I hoped to. I feel like this needed another draft or to have these big ideas marinate for a little longer. There is a lot going on in this book and I struggle to grasp some of it because I feel like it wasn't conveyed clearly to the page. There was a definite sense that in the author's head this is crystal clear and complex, but on the page I struggled to sort out what was happening at a few key times. So like I mentioned in in my review of it, it was like all of a sudden Jameson was like, oh yeah, I probably should mention this and would just throw it in in places. Like it really... Like, it was still in its draft period, I guess. As I, I would agree with Jessica on this, is that it really wasn't fully conceptualized on the page. Okay. I also was really, really not on board with some of the sexuality. I enjoy reading about a good calm shock in the Grooselig. Paraf- to paraphrase Cordelia Chase. But I like there to be plenty of consent between Kamshocker and Kamshaki. Literally all the relationships discussed or shown have a gross imbalance of power. Slaves under orders. Very young men seduced by older women. Yes! Thank you. I'm gonna do snaps to that. Totally forgot about that scene too. Particularly disturbing is one character who, despite technically being thousands of years old, has the physical form and personality of a child. There are almost casual mentions that he has been used by the men of the court who were excited by his childish looks. Yes, that is a point in the book. I will validate that. There is a point in the book where it insinuates that um, Sia, the child of, you know, the god of, like, childhood, looks like a child. Like, um... like a six-year-old and flies around he's a trickster god and he flies around on an orb and there's multiple times where it's mentioned that the older men in the court would force him to lay with them in bed um and it's very creepy And the main character sleeps with him, cuddling him, just like you would a child. Except he is physically on the cusp of puberty, voice cracking, etc. And sexually aware and sleeping with their legs tangled together is not comforting and natural, despite the constant protest that it's innocent. Yes, so Yena does lay down with Sia at one point because Sia... Sia knowing that Yena has Enifa's soul in her is like is trying to use Yena as a pseudo-mom. 
And so after a certain scenario has gone down, Sia is in the form of a teenage boy instead of his typical child form. And so he wants to lay down with Yena for comfort and talks about it. And Yena was unsure, but essentially lays down with him and they cuddle through the night. And yes, their legs are entangled and they're literally engrossed in each other. Now, I don't know about y'all, if your parents are not, if you're a parent and your child has ever slept with you, you know, legs entangled. When I lay down on the couch, my daughter will come and throw her legs up over my legs or her leg will be laying across my hip or whatever. And we're just total couch potatoes or even laying in bed, reading a book together, you know, our limbs get entangled. I don't find anything sexual about it. I'm just laying with my child. Um, I don't know if it's because in this book, how Jessica sees it with like the parent or like she's being a pseudo mom to him but there's an age and power gap right in it and so anyways that's an interesting perspective and that's why I also chose this review to read because I think that gives a different perspective than what I had um and it also mentions other things that I think are good to pinpoint again for like trigger warnings totally forgot about the um child sexual abuse comments that are implicit they're explicitly stated but implicitly expressed if that makes sense so essentially they explicitly state that he's being used he as a child is being used by other men in the court just you know even though he's a thousand years old he's still taking the form of a boy and so these court members are laying with him um but it's implicitly applied what's happening in those beds. So, anyways. Yes. There you go. Thanks to all you bookish people for listening today. I hope you enjoyed. Please like, comment, and share. If you think there's a book I would like or want me to discuss on this channel, drop it in the comments or email me at thebookishimp at gmail.com. This information will also be in the description for all episodes. Thanks again. This is The Book Imp, and have fun with your bookish adventures.